Comments made on the Ceratalk Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Welcome, everyone, back to an EOL Extra. Hey, everyone, Ranger1138, back here with my trusty, dusty partner, Byron27. How you doing there, sir? Hello. Hey, okay, I'm going to rip this Band-Aid off as fast as I possibly can. But first, if you haven't heard the first part of our look back at Series 7B, you want to hop back to EOLshow.com and take a listen to our reviews of The Snowman to Hide, which would be the Christmas special to the episode, well, what do you want to call it? Four, eight, whatever, nine, something like that. Anyway, Snowman to Hide. Check that out because we're about to get spoilery on the rest of Series 7B with a journey to the center of eternity. No, wait, that's an Ozzy Osbourne song from Bach at the Moon. All right, journey to the center of the TARDIS. Running away with a spaceman in a box, anything could happen to you. It's good salvage. I can smell it. Clara, where is she? She's still on board. If you help me get her out, you get the machine, the salvage of a lifetime. Multiple life forms on board the TARDIS. What do you keep in here? What are you, eh? A trick? A trap? We do what we came for. Tear the ship apart. If we're gonna die here, you're gonna tell me what they are! I can't! Where are we going? The center of the TARDIS. Oh, do we have to? I know. I, I really... I understand, and, and again, much love and respect to Chip, the two-minute Time Lord, and I, I get where he's coming from, but... Good grief, I don't like this episode on so many levels. I just don't. I don't... It's not I just you. It's not just you. God, I don't like the graft-on plot with the brothers. I don't like the part about the android. I don't like the part about... I just don't like the part. In fact, I, I just... In the big Star Trek Voyager reset button... Oh, oh and even jokes. It doesn't help that he's like, Ah, a button. <laughs> It doesn't make it any better that you drew my attention to it because I was already thinking it. Ah, Not even seeing parts of the TARDIS helps for me. Not even seeing the book on the Time War. Not even seeing... None. It was cute. It was great. And yeah, we saw the bassinet and, and the swimming pool and all of that. But I love the Invasion of Time. I'm with Trevor from Doctor Who Podcast here. I love the invasion of time and there is something kind of quaint and yeah, old and cheesy, but I love thinking of the TARDIS in that way. And those physical representations, instead of looking at like refugees from the inside of the enterprise. Yeah. I was very excited about the title of this episode and I was really expecting to see them run through the wooden, the wooden version of oh, the, the wooden control, control room. room from the fourth doctor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. From, from I mean, him and Leela. Oh, that, that would be, oh, that would be great. Even if yeah. it was with virtual set, I don't care. I'd deal with that. That'd, that'd be just awesome. Yeah. Because as I said you know. in the first episode that we did together about uh, 7B, you know, I, I like the waves to Doctors in previous times. You know, I, I, I like the nods to the classic Doctor Who fans. And I was really expecting more from this episode. And it was just a huge disappointment. Yeah. There's some callbacks to it later on. And I understand it's purpose in the great grand Moffat scheme of things but man I just I can't I just I mean this is one I'd almost turn the sound down on and just leave in the background so I could maybe appreciate it as ooh, that's a pretty room and that's very artistic or 
that makes a lot of sense in in the fact but i would miss that that callback to where you hear all the doctors and echoes of the control room again i i i feel as much as it's really just dark corridors i felt like i got more out of the doctor's wife than i did here and again I think Big Finish has done this better. And of course, I'm painting that picture in my mind uh, as opposed to other things. But I, even even some of the virgin books, I just, I came in with high hopes and I left with them dashed on the rocks that they jump off of at the end of this story. And oh man, the reveal about the alien. No. Right. Oh. No. 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 I feel your pain. <laughs> Oof. All right, well, we've beat this one to death. Definitely go back and listen to some of these other podcasts that we've mentioned that are fantastic, who know a lot more about Classic Who than even I do and can make some greater references to some of the things that were mentioned. And it's really important to listen to these because you know it's great to have contrasting views because it will help you kind of sort of make your own opinion up of whether you like it or not. And especially if you're a new Who fan, you may have a completely different viewpoint on this than those of us who have, you know, been around with the doctor for a good long time, but oof, oof. Yeah. I'll tell you those podcasts, you know, this one included listening to them sort of recap the episodes and talk about some things, especially not being able to see the, uh, the you know, the, the screen and having certain things explained a little bit helps a lot. So, you know, it's definitely worth listening to. Right. Just like, the Crimson Horror. We are going to the north. Sweetville, an ideal community for happy, prosperous workers. No one who ever goes to live there ever seems to come out. I suspect all is not quite as it seems. Time for a plan. You do seem to keep turning up like a bad penny, young man. The Crimson Horror. That's what they're calling it. My plans must be accelerated. Mrs. Gillifly, we've got to stop her. In the wrong hands, that venom could wipe out all life on this planet. Oh, man, trouble up mill. And uh, that's putting it lightly. We have people that are mysteriously disappearing and then reappearing and looking like uh, a reject out of the Hellboy movie. Uh, that was somebody else's comment on Gallifrey <laughs> Base. Um, so the last image in a person's eye before they died is that of the doctor. And it has Strax, Madame Vostra and Jenny back in an episode and the uh, time team reforms. And off we are to find out what the mystery of the crimson horror is. This, I liked it. I really liked this. Diana Rigg is amazing. Her interactions with her daughter are fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an Avengers fan because of uh, Patrick McNee and, 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 you know, I just, Emma Peel. Hey, Emma Peel. But I really, really do like the interaction here. I, I do get why some people didn't necessarily like this or have some confusion about uh, Clara who wakes up again. Remember, Clara in dreams and kind of recognizes the whole missile thing. And, and how did she see that? And how did she know about Don't care. Kind of like it. Matt Smith doing his northern accent is just gorgeous. I know some people didn't like the kind of kinescope old style flashback little chintzy uh or or some people compared this to unicorn and the wasp which i didn't uh trevor over at doctor who podcast kind of sort of said that i liked this episode i really did and i don't mind some of the visual craziness that's going on here and again some of the performances make me overlook plot points or issues 
uh, or even some of the stuff that was telegraphed, like the ending of this with uh, what happens with the leech at the end. <laughs> I, again, I liked it. What, what did you think, Byron? Well, uh, I, as you um, you know, were describing the episode and mentioned uh, the daughter, uh, the daughter in this episode is blind, and I was kind of worried that they were going to portray the blind girl as sort of like this this poor girl, you know, who's blind, and oh, they're going to do all the tropey blind things, like oh, let me feel your face and all this other crap, and uh, you know, she had a little bit of the uh, you know sort of uh, take care of me attitude at first, but then she did some very independent things and I thought they kind of did a good job with that. So I was, I was happy. Um, not perfect, but, uh, not bad either. No. And you're right. Once when she has the opportunity to be independent, because I think some of her submissive attitude comes from honor thy mother, right? You know, Victorian mm-hmm. time, you, you, you it was are the times, in your place. Right. right. But even her keeping the doctor away was kind of defiant. So mm-hmm. she, she, she had her own streak and I think they do set that apart really, really well. Diana Rigg chews the scenery really well. <laughs> it is just fun to watch. I guess it's kind of a comedy episode because of course you have, you know, Strax, I'll go play with my grenades, you know, or the part that some people didn't like was the sat nav bit where, uh, Strax gets, <laughs> gets, gets help for where the mill is by you know, someone who talks like if they were a satellite navigation unit. Um, to me, right. that's I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. That's made up oh, by, that's made up by the, you're the third horse this week comment, you know. <laughs> well, no, you know. <laughs> and it's funny um, that you never actually see him kill uh, anything out of frustration, but he's always just got his <laughs> finger on the trigger. like <laughs> Just in case, have him exactly where I want him. Uh, Dan Starkey, great. I mean, you know, uh, Big Finish, he does some great Big Finish too, Last Antara and I think, and, and others. And he just embodies that role. And yes, I know that it's a comic foil and some people really would rather have, you know, the Time Warrior version or, or Invasion of Time version of Suntarans, I get that, but he is as close to pantomime camp, but never really seems to break it for me. And I, you know, even girl, even that, you know, I'm okay with, I, I just, it's a great character and I really enjoy that. And he brings kind of that, what the audience is thinking moment. And I, I kind of adore that. But again, Matt Smith, amazing here. This is almost a Dr. Light episode, like you know, say love and monsters in a way. In fact, you know, the doctor shows up way late. There's some people who don't like the miracle, you know, step behind this curtain and now I'm better and I don't have to explain it. Nope. Don't care. Once again, if we can have a translation circuit and the ability to travel in time and space, then I'm willing to forgive this kind of moment. So, um, enjoy this. And I, it's got good rewatch value for me. And then some children might watch this and feel like they have Terrible, terrible nightmares in silver. Hedgewick's World, the biggest and best amusement park there will ever be. It closed down. Reports of people just vanishing. No need to panic, my young friends. We all know there are no more living Cybermen. Attack formation quickly! Don't wander off. Take defensive positions. Hail to you, the doctor, savior of the Cybermen. Yeah, I would say that there was probably more hype on this episode than even Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Neil Gaiman, 
hot off the doctor's wife. So much going into this episode, so much hype. Neil was on all these different talk shows, even in America promoting it. You know, there was the fact that that script got left in the back of a cab and, you know, it was called The Last Cyberman. That's how we found out about that. And, and you know, nobody leaked it. And it was really, really a letdown for me. How many times have we been fooled by the close-up of the of, of the face of a Cyberman, and then oh oh no, don't worry, it's just a it's just a husk. <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh this again. Oh yeah. yes, I remember this yeah. from from you know season one of the oh, new well, season series. one. Remember, you see the the handlebars in Dalek. Remember that uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston stops and looks at it, and you know I'll tell you about that one day. You know he stops just dead in his tracks and looks at a Cyberman head. Um, that yep. was kind of our first real look at, at them in the new series. Then we moved to age of steel and, and, and the rest where some people don't like the, the new series, Cyberman, you know, the serious cybernetics plastic pal. That's fun to be with version. Um, <laughs> I like Neil Gaiman. I've read some books. We've, we've reviewed, you know, Neverwhere here in, on EOL. Um, American gods. There's some great writing. This is one that I think would have been better as a book than an actual episode. And I've read a lot of things online about people saying that, you know, Moffat helped rewrite, you know, the doctor's wife. And that's why it was really good. And that, you know, supposedly Neil wanted to write this one on his own. But, you know, shortly after this aired, Neil was out there saying, well, this scene was cut and this scene because fans were asking him, what about the kids and how did this happen? And why did this happen? Well, it was supposed to be the two kids from the snowmen, but you know, it was changed and this scene was changed and this line of dialogue was altered and on and on and on. I feel bad for Matt Smith here because he has to carry this and he does admirably. I mean, you know, he's jumping back and forth between these two roles and it's almost pantomime, but I just, it so would work better from the minute that you're in the matrixy type part of his brain it just, I felt like this would have been better in a book. It, I, if I could have drawn my own pictures in my mind, this would have gone a lot better. And yep, I like the Silver Turk reference here for the, the Eighth Doctor and Big Finish and all that and, and all of that. But there are just so many bits and pieces that don't make sense to me. And three million Cybermen imploding or the way the graphics look exploding <laughs> at the end. It just... And then, of course, people were like, oh, it's like the Borg because they immediately adapt. And I, that doesn't bother me. That and, and the Cybermites don't bother me. I like the Cybermites. I think that's new to canon. I think that's good. But as a whole, I just I just don't like this episode. And, and yeah. Chip over at Two Minute Time Lord has a great feeling about it. And he makes a very good case. But as I said to him on Twitter, I have to side with the guys over at Doctor Who Podcast this, this particular episode because – there's just not much that I can say that's super redeeming in this particular episode. You know, we were talking about depth of character at the end of our first episode about Doctor Who, and the kids in this season, they're snotty, they don't really have much depth of character, we don't really see them very often, and they just... You root you know, for the do, Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they do, like, these sort of tropey kid things, like, you know, yeah. when the girl walks into the barracks and she goes, I'm bored, and I'm just like, God, well, I mean, you can know, you just... It, it's it's amusement park gone wrong, right? I mean, literally, mm -hmm. it's amusement park gone wrong. It is one of exactly. the 18 plots of sci-fi, but it felt very Jurassic Parky. 
with the two kids, right? And yeah. I dislike children in horror and others because they just they don't have the ability or the coping skills. So I don't like to see like Friday the. Th- I don't usually like those movies anyway, but I don't like children in danger or in peril like that. In this situation, I didn't mind them being in peril. In fact, I was hoping that it remained so because it would actually give some form of a plot that I could wrap my brain around because the doctor's almost casual about it. Even before he's fighting the cyber planner, he's like, oh, well, they've been taken over. And even even at the end when they're walking back in the TARDIS, well, I showed you a great time. Sure, I almost got you killed. (laughs) Bye. You know, it's it's like these... These kids, other than, uh, you know, being kidnapped by the Cybermen and being used as bait, as far as I was concerned, I didn't feel any, you know, horror that these kids had these things attached to their heads. I didn't feel any panic or anything when these kids were going off and getting themselves into danger. Like, oh, watch out. You're, you're, you're doing a bad thing. I just didn't care about these kids at all. The story could have been just as serviceable without them at all, or that mm-hmm. the Cybermen were just sleeping. Uh, they didn't have to take over kids for their imaginations or whatever. None of that. I mean, he even could have taken Clara there just for the fact that it was something fun to do instead of doing the Willy Wonka moment and literally pulling out a golden ticket. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> that was a sledgehammer to my head on what the plot was going to be. And unfortunately I was jumping ahead. I kind of sort of saw what was coming and kind of knew what was going to happen and knew there was going to be a trick and knew that the Cybermen would be stopped right before they got them. And you don't want to be a military person in doctor who, uh, not even in unit because you are immediately red shirt, star Trek expendable as several of these nameless, faceless people were, who were supposedly defending this planet which has dust all over it, but also so happens to have a weapon that's a thousand years old that could stop the Cybermen in case it ever happened again. Whatever. Okay. God, no, I just can't. I understand Neil's a great writer. I understand that there's some magical parts, but I read the Michael Moorcock Doctor Who book too and didn't like it either because I don't think that worked as a book. I think it worked better as an episode Whereas this is the exact opposite. I would have rather read a book of this written by Neil the way he had intended it than to watch this thing. And I cannot rewatch this. I feel bad for Matt Smith in this episode having to drag people through it. So I literally feel pain for the actor and <laughs> cannot watch this. Yeah. And, and the big reveal at the end that, uh, you know, the, the little guy at the, at the end is the emperor and uh you know he yeah never saw that coming <laughs> right oh my god and he wants clara it's the to, little girl that figures it out please <laughs> and you know clara uh he's asking clara to to marry him and and rule the rule the galaxy with him and you know it's just like give me a break and if you're that gonna rip cringing. off ghostbusters which she does she does that line if someone asks you to be the queen of the universe. You say, yes, you have to say it the way Egon says it. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody asks you, if you want to be the queen of the universe, you say, yes, yes. (laughs) If you're going to rip that line off, make the girl watch the movie. So she at least can get the reference. You know, it's like, Oh, ah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Just no, it's, I think ah. it's time to cross the streams. Yeah. Oh, nicely done. I can understand why you might say that because you've often wondered about the name of the doctor. I have. 
doctor has a secret, you know. What is your name? And it is discovered. I'm Clara Oswald. I was born to save the doctor. There is one place you must never, ever find yourself. Whatever you're thinking of doing, don't. I agree with many people online that there are some plot holes and that there are some gaping moments and some leaps of logic. But at the same time, the middle-aged sci-fi fan in me cannot help but love all the body doubles, all the references. I've loved all the conversations about how there's little moments that explain things like how did the seventh doctor get down from that area and Oh, Clara helped him. Wow. There's so many little fan moments here to debates and bars and conventions that I've been in that address this by people who, who know those same debates and lovingly give you a, a way to explain some of these issues. And the colorized William Hartnell and the type 40 TARDIS. And oh man, the very beginning to hear the Gallifrey theme. Oh, this is just, this is a love letter to fans. And, and you, you now understand, you know, when people were saying, well, if it doesn't have so-and-so in it, it's not the 50th anniversary. Well, you got everybody, even tenant. Uh, there's a little scene with him in it. Just amazing river song, Alex Kingston, one of my favorite characters, kind of a neat story for her. Yeah, I agree with some people online that said that the conference call was a little bit of a master potion end of time moment that, you know, you can cross time in a dream. Okay, sure, whatever. I just, you know, again, but the references here are just too powerful. And and the fact that River really addresses him at a moment of time that's past Forest of the Dead, really well done, Moffat does this really well. Doctor Who as a whole always has trouble with finales. You know, some people really adore Parting of the Ways. Some people say Doomsday, you know, is is the moment, you know. Some people really, really look down upon some of the Tenant era finales. And others hold up Big Bang as like the one that you want to go by. But really, honestly, most of these go over the top no matter who writes them or whose era it is. And I think that's just trappings of fandom that, that we're building up to this episode 13 and it's just got to wow or knock our socks off. And I haven't been really disappointed in any of the Moffat era finales. I've really enjoyed them even, even last year, which I know some people didn't like, I didn't mind that at all. And I could rewatch it a lot. If nothing else, I'll enjoy Dorian in that episode. Love it. What were your takes on this one? I loved, as you said, all the nods back to the fans and, uh, you know, all of the cool things that were explained. As I said earlier, the thing that kind of bugged me about this finale is that I didn't have the, oh my God, I've put all the pieces together and oh my God, holy crap, this is the mystery that we've been sort of wondering about all this time moment. Uh, we, we did have something answered about Clara and, and why she is the impossible girl, but I didn't leap out of my chair and go, oh my God, you know, I, I it just yeah. wasn't that for me. But uh, I do think there was a moment where we both dropped our jaws. Yes. Elaborate, sir. That is the, uh, the very end where the doctor is in the middle of his time stream with Clara in the big sandy pit thing. And oh, yeah. a man in the yeah. distance, sort of shadowy. Turns John around Hurt. and it says mm. John Hurt. 
introducing John Hurt as the doctor. And I went, what? I had been spoiled by Blaster. So I kind of oh. knew this three weeks ago. So for me, it was, ah, okay, that rumor is true, right? Because I accidentally, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to read it, but I was looking at something and it was like, oh, and this will be such and such and such and such. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this episode, some lucky ducks in America actually got the DVD and Blu-ray sets early from Amazon. And I admit it. I did go look for this on the torrent sites. I didn't find it. I only made a cursory glance and then I was like, okay, you know what? I can wait till Saturday. And as long as nobody spoils it too badly on, on Twitter, I could do that. In fact, Moffat has a love letter to fans for not spoiling it that we'll have here in the show notes. I was a good boy and I waited and I'm glad I waited. And I watched this one just twice in a row, just, and then watched it again immediately. And the reveal is, is good in the reveal. I agree with you, but it just makes you want November to happen so much faster. Oh <laughs> it really does. I watched it once with my friend uh, Dwayne, as I mentioned before, and then I watched it again with descriptive video. And uh, it was actually the first one I watched this year with some DVS on it, just because I, I had to go back and watch it again. I was just wanting more Doctor Who so badly, I couldn't put it down, so I had to watch it over again. Yeah. Yes, there are... How did they get out of the time stream and how could they cross the streams? Like you said, and there's some, some moments. In fact, I even waver to the minute that you actually go into the tomb. I kind of waver. Cause it's like, wait a minute, how did Strax and everybody get there? And ah, to hell with it. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and enjoy this ride and not think too much <laughs> about it because river's there and I will ogle at river and that'll be just fine. Matt Smith once again changes his persona when talking to River and just really connects with that character. And I've said this actually, uh, I turned in some feedback on the Doctor Who podcast, and I had said that if you go back and watch River's first two episodes, uh, Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead, the layout for the Moffat era is in those two episodes. From the minute that she walks in the room, in the impossible astronaut costume and flips open the visor and says, hello, sweetie to the moment that tenant is handcuffed and he says, time can be rewritten. And she says, not one line, which is the exact lines that are said in the river, uh, the wedding of river song, except in reverse things. If you go looking for them, if you are a Buffy fan, an angel fan, a, B- a Babylon five fan, you're someone who, consume series in huge chunks and we'll go back looking over lines of dialogue or something on the wall. It's all there in those two episodes. You get such an idea. And I even said in the feedback to the Doctor Who podcast that there's a line that the little girl, Cal says, Cal, Clara, okay, maybe I'm reaching, but she says to River at the very end, aren't I a clever girl? Which to me felt like a spinoff of clever boy you know, that she always says to the doctor. So for me, it feels like he's had this all planned out. We've all just been playing along and he's just pulled these little covers back and goes, Oh, would you like this? Would you like some dessert? Would you like a little more? Would you like a little more? (laughs) Buffet lines over here, you know? And I am so happy to go back through that line again because everything pays off in a, in a really interesting way here. 
Yeah, and it's really cool to to sort of learn about the Gallifreyan lore. Uh, in this episode, we found out what happens to a TARDIS when it dies. The bigger on the inside starts to leak out, and so it's like yeah. this huge monument of a TARDIS. You know, and what happens to a Time Lord when he dies? You, you see his time stream just floating there in a big stream. And uh, it, it was just kind of cool to kind of wrap your head around some of that Gallifreyan society and how that all works. Yeah, agreed. And it, to me, it was kind of a, it's like we're rewriting what Russell had done, right? Because Russell's way of bringing the show back was to write out Gallifrey and, you know, the time war. And that way he could say that everything's been rebooted. Everything's different because all of time is different. In fact, there are several episodes of the Ninth Doctor's era where he goes, wait, I don't remember this. Or this isn't how it should be. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a setup to the longtime viewer to understand that, yes, this long time villain that he has fought is not the exact villain anymore because something changed during the time war. Well, this allows him like with the big bang to say, Nope, put all that back. It's all fixed now. No, totally. Mm -hmm. End of time. Didn't happen. Well, it did, but it didn't. It's the back to the future paradox where you have to travel forward in order to go backward. Right. And right. I'm okay with that. If it gets me some of that, because I would, I don't mind, I don't mind Star Wars, the prequels, in the fact that it, it sets up the idea of the Old Republic, which were great video games, uh, about how Jedi had to fall apart, that the balance in the Force was that the dark side had to rise because the Jedi were corrupt. They were the Roman Empire. They had to fall apart. And this is sort of the same thing with Gallifrey. And things had to come apart because that's just who these old you know cranks were <laughs> so that had to it, there had to be balance to the force okay so to mix my my series here this makes a lot of sense to me and I'm okay with that but now I want those guys back I actually want more of that classic feeling in my I I want my chocolate and my peanut butter I want my classic series ideals even so much to my uh <laughs> My John Nathan Turner overt, you must know these episodes that haven't aired visibly in 40 years. <laughs> you have to know those <laughs> plots to get that. And I understand that's not going to work for some people and, and, and all that. But I don't mind that if that if it's even a line of dialogue. Again, that Andrews, uh, line about Androzani. You know, woohoo, excellent. I existed and they acknowledged my existence. Hooray. <laughs> um, I'm okay with that. Because it, to, to the new viewer, it may get them to go back and experience those episodes or they might go to a wiki or they might go to YouTube and they might fall in love with John Perchwee or they might fall in love with Peter Davison. They might come back and to get into the lore of, of the character and who it is. And that's great. That'd be fantastic. There's a reason why all those DVDs exist. And there's a reason why they're, you know, animating parts of the invasion or reign of terror. So that's welcome to the, to the bigger part of fandom. But if not, then they won't think any more about it and they'll just exist in the new series, which is an amazing, you know, for a show that's 50 years old, that's an amazing feat of strength. And to take canon and accept it rather than do a Star Trek reboot or a Battlestar reimagining, Star Trek freely admitted that they were burdened by canon. So alternate timeline. Enjoy, kids. (laughs) Well, it's like people would often say, Uh, The people really hated Enterprise because it was so... Oh, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) It it was just so 
uh, wrong to have the first Enterprise, you know, the this new series of Star Trek having this really advanced looking starship. And then you go back to the 60s series and it's all cardboard and, you know, hokey effects <laughs> and stuff. And people yeah. get all hung yeah. up on that. And I'm sure that go, happens go with Doctor and, Who as well. <laughs> yeah. I, but, you know, uh, the thing that Trek did was you had two guys who were showrunners who never liked fans. I, I will, I mm-hmm. will go out there and say that. And if you read like some of the stuff that's in the um, Blu-ray edition of Star Trek, the next generation season three, they start talking about the Bible and that you were forbidden from, you know, referring to this character or that character. You were forbidden, you know, like there was even talk about introducing Sarek, but never mentioning Spock, right? Okay. That makes no sense. One kind of begat the other. It, it, and, and it carried on, you know, in Enterprise, here's a series, a prequel series, but it was written by guys who hated canon and who, who called fans pornographers because they wouldn't let go of canon and establish canon. And the only reason why they did it was because if they created the mythos of Star Trek, if they went back and wrote the prequels, then any writing credit that refers to the early days of the Federation would have to go to Brandon Braga and Rick Berman and whoo writer's credit for me, cha-ching. You know, it was, it was so crass and so marketed that, you know, that's why I had issues with Enterprise until Manny Cotto took over. The last season of Enterprise, he tries to fix it and he does a pretty admirable job through a mirror darkly. Oh my gosh. If you watch <laughs> Two episodes of Enterprise, the only two episodes of Enterprise I will ever physically ever say in a podcast to go watch. Go to Netflix and watch Through a Mirror Darkly. You don't need to know anything about Enterprise to enjoy those two episodes. But they're great. And it's a very nice love letter. It's a great love letter to classic Trek. But this is a <laughs> this is about Doctor Who, so let me stop. <laughs> There's that tangent again. <laughs> Yeah, let me stop and say, well, it's an EOL extra, so, you know, hey. Uh, <laughs> let me stop and say, that's what this was. This was a love letter again to anybody who grew up with any any of those doctors as their doctor. You know, Perchwee, you know, uh, uh, Hartnell, Baker, any, any of those as your doctor. You know, there was a moment in there for you. Yeah, Perchwee was uh, for the longest time my doctor. And uh, then then came Matt Smith and I've sort of really just gravitated toward his his role. He's just great. But uh, I, for the longest I time, Pertwee. just loved, loved Pertwee. I adore Pertwee. Yeah, the action man. You know, he's, he's, he's a product of 1970, but there are some great stories there. And I, I really like joe and i really like sarah with 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 the third doctor and i can go back and watch even something that's so crazy as planet of the spiders or something i could just i I adore it so i even like the unit extended family you know the green death and all and of course the master oh yes oh the sea devils you know just fantastic stuff so there's great moments there. Uh, there's some great love letters to the uh, the five doctors. In fact, the Doctor Who podcast does really well in actually kind of sort of going frame by frame almost and telling you which episodes were which that the uh, scenes were taken from. Um, so definitely check out Radio Free Scarrow and uh, the Doctor Who podcast. They do a great job uh, at explaining the classic series references. So if you want to know more about Doctor Who, definitely check out them and Verity. I haven't mentioned this. I really should. Uh, the Verity podcast, which is a little bit of podcast, in that there are some some of the people from other podcasts 
that have come together to do this podcast with Chicks Dig Time Lords writers. Uh, it's ladies and their take on Doctor Who. And if you really want a, a deep cerebral conversation about who, and especially from the feminine perspective, check out the Verity podcast. There's a link here on the show notes. It's one of my favorites. It is, it is jumped up to on demand listening. Like the minute they post, if I see it on Twitter, I have to go grab it. It is great, great viewpoints, but we haven't touched on this and how it affects the 50th. So you asked me about that jaw dropping moment. And I told you that I had sort of read and we're about to go super spoilery. Let me, let me stop once again. If you don't want to know anything about the 50th, you want to wait until November. You want to be surprised about anything we're about to, you know, probably make a guess at because we don't completely know what's coming. <laughs> I've read set reports. I've seen pictures, blah, blah, blah. Stop now. It was great. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. EOLshow.com for all your comments and suggestions. Resources at sarotalk.com. Leave an eye report right there in iBlink Radio or hit us up on Twitter at twitter.com slash EOLshow. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Now we're going to get super spoilery about the 50th, if you want to stay. This is Commander Strax of the glorious Santaran Empire. I am at the Monster Day Out in Cardiff, answering questions from miniature humans. Santaha! An excellent round to invite a warrior into a room. Thank you. Why am I so small? There are many, many small humans in this room. Are you from a defective clone batch? Uh, hey, I am the perfect size for a Santaran warrior. We are hatched from clone batches by our millions. We step out fully formed and ready for battle. We are all identical and thirst for warfare as soon as we draw breath. As you can tell, I was hatched from a particularly handsome clone batch. Yeah. Uh, if you do not agree, then please raise your hand and I will introduce you to my laser monkeys later on. No! No, 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 no. We Sontarans, we are not offended by words. Words cannot hurt us. We are hardened warriors, designed to fight in the airless vacuum of space. I, for one, would not be rolling around on the floor, curled up into a little ball, wiping my, weeping and wiping my tears away if someone called me a potato head. No, no indeed. The last time a human called me potato head, I simply turned and walked away calm and collected. Once I had crushed him into a pulp with my muscled fists. <laughs> what would I do if I saw a weeping angel? Uh, I would stare it out. <laughs> we Sontarans are good at staring competitions. Yes, we never lose. Yes, why am I a nurse? This is a, uh, some, a, a position the doctor arranged for me. Due to a previous misadventure, I serve a penance to restore the honor of my clone batch. As a result, the doctor chose the most fearsome punishment a Santaran can endure. Helping the weak and sick and feeble. Or humans, as I like to call them. Uh, yes, uh, well, for instance, there's Commander Score, who uh, I had the honor of serving with uh, many years ago, who said, This isn't war, this is sport! <laughs> He's indeed a very jovial fellow. And, uh, and then there's Commander Lynx, who, uh, who, who, who you, some of you may remember from a long time ago, who had a little bit of a, a problem with his chest, so he spoke a lot more like this. 
But apart from that, no. We're much, much, we, are, we are much of a muchness vocally. Thank you. You still there? You with us? Oh, I'm sorry. I disconnected. I, 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 <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll have to do this solo. No, wait. <clears throat> the 50th anniversary episode is coming in November, and shortly thereafter, the holiday Christmas special. And let's start with what we know. A, Series 8 is coming. B, Matt Smith has said he's in Series 8. And, comma, we already knew Jenna Louise Coleman said she was in Series 8. Don't know if it's the whole thing, but we do know that she's there. So she's in the holiday special, she's in the 50th, and she's in Series 8. There. So any drama there, forget it. We know David Tennant and Billy Piper are there. So we know that. And we know John Hurt is there. We know him as the Doctor. We also know that there is a classic series villain in the Zygons are back, which is one of supposedly what David Tennant said was his, his price for coming back. It wasn't money, it's the Zygons. So they're back. What we don't know is, is this the Doctor and Billy from the alternate universe? Is that the Handy Doctor, as they call him on Radio Free Scarrow? <laughs> or is handy it the real 10th doctor? doctor? <laughs> Uh, is it, uh, is it the doctor and Billy from series two? Is it them from, you know, post series? Is it, we don't know. We don't know any of that so far. What it actually turns out to be is that, uh, you know, they, they somehow wind up in a dimension, uh, where doctor who is just you say TV dimensions series. In time. I'm ending this podcast right now. <laughs> you say, you say you refer to dimensions and I'm pulling this podcast over and you are going to have to walk home. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> uh, they're in a parallel universe where doctor who is just a TV show. Yes, that's it. <laughs> and right. and David Tennant and uh, Billy Piper are actors, and they go, no, no, this isn't real. We're just actors here, you know. I saw that on Supernatural. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Red Dwarf, you know. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, both have done it. I don't know. I mean, certainly David Tennant did Time Crash, and you know that was him in the Fifth Doctor, and it was a really neat way how they worked that in to existing canon. In fact, there's there's some YouTube clips that are out there that actually have spliced in where in the classic series time crash would happen. So you're watching a scene from the episode and then they've spliced in time crash and then they put you back in the classic series episode to explain where that was in the fifth doctor's timeline. Oh, trippy. You got to love fans and ingenuity and too much time on said hands. So they could explain it any way they want. You know, is it going to have a five doctors feel a two doctors feel it's going to be a multi-doctor story. So it's going to have some kind of uniqueness to it or, and this is more my thought is Billy and, and, and David are just Zygons that it's not really them. I know that would be a cheat boy. Phantom would scream like a Banshee or a show. <laughs> there was more a zombie, not so much a Banshee. Sorry. <laughs> Brains. Um, what we, and this is super spoiler, spoiler, the doctor appears to be, the one between the eighth doctor and the ninth doctor that John Hurt is one of the incarnations that did something so terrible that the other doctors won't even refer to him as the doctor. So you're saying that we are theoretically on the 13th life of the doctor, not the, or the uh, 12th life of the the doctor, not the 11th. Yeah, the 12th. And that, 
that some have speculated, as on Doctor uh, Who podcast, that he's so much in denial. That's why he has, you know, 11 on his jersey in uh, the lodger. Or he always mentions that he's the 11th or that Clara says, I've seen all 11 of your faces. And, you know, that this is a secret, a deep, dark secret in that the doctor is ashamed. And literally that's why the ninth doctor is so brooding, is that this is so calamitous. What was done was so horrendous that that's why the doctor has been in this despair in 9, 10, and 11. Gotcha. See, now I... I had not read all of the spoilers that you had, but I had perused Twitter right after seeing the reveal on uh, the final episode of Seven. And there was some speculation on Twitter that uh, John Hurt was going to be the ninth doctor or the uh, eighth doctor, the one who fought in the time war. Now, maybe he is the one who fought in the time war, but I thought they were going to throw Paul McGann out with the bathwater and call him the eighth doctor. And that really worried me because I liked Paul McGann as a doctor, not well, so much we, the movie, we but saw him I liked him. in um, Family of Blood, right? In the book, there's a clear scene of Paul McGann. Uh, we see his face again in the 11th hour. So I don't think that. I think Paul's safe. I, you know, Paul is canon. You know, Russell pretty much locked him into canon, right? Because of the half-human, half-time lord, blah, 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 blah. Which some people like or don't like. Or that the doctor kissed a woman. Oh, horror. Uh-huh. Um, I know. Which we've said, um, subsequently seen him do a bazillion times now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of lost its thing. Although I do like the line with, with River in the name of the doctor. Uh, <laughs> I at first didn't like this storyline. I didn't like the fact, you know, because it's kind of a retcon. It's kind of a, you know, what you didn't know <laughs> was I was in the library the whole time with the candlestick. No, it, it seems very Agatha Christie-ish. But I've kind of sort of come to the understanding that, A, it's going to happen whether I like it or not. But B, <laughs> if it was so horrendous or from what we know about the time war that it's so you know, awful or that, you know, he had to do something that was even worse than the Valyard, which also doesn't have the doctor's name. And I love the Valyard reference in the doctor, uh, the name of the doctor. This makes sense. So there is a little bit of precedence. There is a little bit of canon here for me to grasp onto and say, okay, I can see why, or, you know, what you did was not in the name of the doctor. Okay. That makes sense. And of course it goes back to like the beast below you know, I'm going to change my name because I'm, I won't be the doctor anymore. That line helped me kind of sort of go, okay, I get it. I'm okay with this. Yes. Very, very interesting, uh, spoilers there. And, uh, okay. So now, now I'm going to have to like, get <laughs> Especially the MIB. Since you didn't know any of that before I went off on a great big tangent. Sorry about that. Byron. I'm going to have to get the MIB uh, mind eraser thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I did warn you, you could have disconnected. You certainly <laughs> did. Yeah, you certainly did. I have to go back yeah, in time November and prevent this from ever away, happening. It? It just <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly going to be a huge reveal when we come back. I, I think it's, uh, I think season eight is going to rock. secrets. We don't know yet. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, I, I've, I've laid out some things that I know. I've laid out some things I've heard. I've laid out some things that others have speculated on podcasts. But I think there's still a, a great big question mark because even... Even with the name of the doctor, there were some fan theories out there and Moffat kept saying, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. And yeah, he was right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not even close. <laughs> exactly. So 
what are you hoping to see in the 50th? What, what, what would make your geek heart beat faster in the 50th? I mean, considering that you just got a whole bunch of doctor references in the name of the doctor. Oh yeah. I mean, they certainly poured a lot of waves to the fans into this last episode. So I got quite a bit of what I was wanting as a fan. Again, like I was saying in the journey uh, to the center of the TARDIS, I would like to see uh, waves to fans of the TARDIS herself. Um, You know, going back to see some of the earlier versions of the TARDIS, even if they're modernized a bit to make them not look so cheesy in comparison to what we have now, just to acknowledge that that time existed. But I don't know. That's a a tough question to ask um, because you just don't really know what you're going to get until you get it. I didn't have an answer until you started telling yours. So as you were telling yours, I would like to have a Wolf 359 moment. I would like to have the battle at Wolf 359. I'd like to see battle TARDISes against Ooh, Daleks yeah. and giant blow things up type stuff. And, you know, because we've always heard about battle TARDISes from Big Finish in the books and, and, and you know, Infinity, Arc of Infinity and others. I, I would I would like to see that. I don't know why I would like to see that, but I would like to see kind of what I didn't get in end of time. You know, I would like to see more mm-hmm. time Lords with great big crazy head pieces and neck pieces that are 50 feet long and robes and, uh, you know, Gallifrey and, and, you know, it, I would like to see that. I would love to see again, even if it's just a moment like three, five, nine or the beginning of deep space nine, where it's just kind of a flashback kind of thing. I'd love to see that. That would be great. That would be just amazing. I just thought of something else I would like to see in an upcoming Doctor Who, especially if we're going to be bringing back Time Lords. I would like to see Iris Wild Time in her double-decker bus, TARDIS. <laughs> you want Iris to be part of canon, other than in the extended universe books, right? Okay. And Bernie yeah. Summerfield right with her, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would like to see some of that stuff leak in. If it makes you feel any better, one of my dreams was to have, like, the eighth doctor with Charlie or Lucy <laughs> would like, Oh, that would be so cool. Charlotte Pollard or, or Lucy to make the big jump and actually be canon in, in doctor who that would be neat. You know? And those are two of my favorite companions. I think, I mean, not even in official TV, you know, uh, canon, but still, Oh God, and that's a good question. What is your favorite companion out of all of them? Including the big, out of finish big, fi- a big finish universe or television canon. Give me both. Okay. I like Lucy a lot. I, I just, I don't know what it is. It's just the way she portrays her. I just, I think I, I like her a lot as far as big finish companions go. If I have to choose someone who made the jump from classic series companion to big finish, it's Sarah Sutton. I have always enjoyed Sarah's portrayal of Nyssa, whether it be the younger Nyssa or the older Nyssa. I have a thing for Nyssa and, and it's beyond just her stripping and terminus. <laughs> Although as a young boy, that was a good reason. Uh, so I like her as an actress and Sophie Aldred probably edges her by just a little bit because out of Charlotte, out of Lucy, out of Sarah, Ace and Hex and the seventh doctor, I really love those stories. The Colditz, all the stuff with, with, the group that was Torchwood before Torchwood, <laughs> all of those. I really love Sophie and, and I could just listen to her read the phone book. I just, I, I really like Sophie. So she's kind of my favorite big finish companion in television. 
I do adore Sarah and Sarah is always the companion that you kind of weigh others by, right? You know, but I, again, like Ace and I really like Leela and I, I like her also in, in, you know, some of the big finish stuff with, um, Jago and Lightfoot and Luis just brings an innocence to that character and is very diverse with it and Gallifrey with Romana or others, but her, Eliza Doolittle way of approaching is just great. And so I do love Sarah. I mean, Sarah's just on a whole nother plane, but I come back to her, to uh, Joe and, and Leela as some of my favorite companions. New series, class, uh, uh, new series. I adored Donna. Catherine Tate in The Runaway Bride couldn't stand her. But in series four, she was just amazing and humble and just brought some gravity to that character. And she is one of my favorite characters in the new series. How about you? I think my my picks kind of parallel yours. Um, you know, I, I, Donna was awesome. I liked Sarah Jane. Couldn't stand Tegan. <laughs> oh, I love but, that line in uh, in in Bravehearts. You know, and he, he kind of like, oh, I don't even know why I had her around. You know the. <laughs> Some gobby Aussie <laughs> and, and, you know, no, no fault of Janet Fielding, by the way, who is a wonderful actress. And, uh, by the way, there are some wonderful things going on right now for, I'll have a link in the show notes. I don't completely remember right now, but it's uh donate for the motor mouth fund because, uh, she's fighting cancer. So the actress herself is actually under some duress. And so no offense to her character. She's a great actress, but yeah, I didn't like Tegan. <laughs> It's not, it's not Janet's fault. <laughs> well, one of the reasons why I was asking you about companions is because I found this article about uh, season seven and uh, sort of our departure from the ponds and uh, uh, the the beginning of the impossible girl with Clara. And there was a, a paragraph in here that made me had to stop and think. So, you know, Clara Oswin had the impossible ability to come back from the dead, no matter the year, the, the place, or the cause of death. Before this week, it was a hook nifty enough to let Clara get away without having a personality. Nothing against Jenna Louise Coleman, but does Clara want anything? She has preferences, but not needs. What do you think of that? That's a very good look. I mean, I know that the, the Radio Times has really been like slamming post um, who like after nightmare and silver and, and some others. And one of the things that others have brought up is did Clara really connect with the doctor enough to sacrifice herself? You know, mm -hmm. Amy would jump in the time stream without even being told, but I don't know that I felt the same way with Clara. And I can agree with that, that there's so many different versions of Clara, you know, multiple, but being the same and, and all of that, that I don't know that you have the same emotional connection with the character as you did with Amy. When Amy went away, I shed a tear. When canine gets destroyed in school reunion, I shed a tear. When Donna has her uh, flowers of Algernon moment, I cried. That was terrible. That was just, you know, and she's like, no, 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 please don't, you know. And you get the very classic David Tennant, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so, so, mm -hmm. so. You never want to hear those words from Tennant because you're just doomed, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you so, want to hear, I'm coming to get you. You don't want to hear, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. It's the Star Trek II moment, I will avenge you. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> 
But I mean, I th- I thought she did really well in uh, Asylum of the Daleks, and I really sort of bonded with that character. And then I thought she was dead, and I thought that was it. And I'm like, man, I would have loved yeah. to have seen her come back. And then she did. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, she, she did really good in the That's Snowman. And then her strongest I, I just felt like, portrayal too. For me, her strongest portrayal is Asylum. Mm-hmm. That's the character that I imprinted on. And yeah. I agree with others who felt like her taking command in Nightmare and Silver felt weird. You know, that it, is that the same Clara we saw in other episodes? Well, now you could debate whether it is or isn't. The same way you could debate, did the events with the Pons happen in order? Did Or did the Doctor go back in time just to be with the Pons again after Angels Take Manhattan? Which is kind of the way I look at it is when the doctor comes back and he's not sure what's going on in Amy's life, it's because he's gone back in her time stream just to be with her, you know? Mm -hmm. So the doctor then is a doctor who's passed the events in angels in Manhattan. So the same thing here, I can't say to you with any sureness that it's the same Clara, even in Hyde or cold war or nightmare and silver. I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. So, it may be purposeful and you're right. It might not be the actress's fault. It might've been the way she was told to portray the character in that particular episode, but it's hard to say, but I, I don't feel, and that's one of my issues with, I mean, it's a nitpick other than how the hell did they get out of the time stream and blah, blah, blah. Or the very scene where he's like, take one more step closer, Clara. And she's literally on top of him. And it's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. It's like, well, that was kind of awkward. <laughs> my <laughs> Clara, you know, it's, it's like, well, yeah. I don't feel like they really bonded enough for the, for either one of them to feel some of the, some of the emotions that they're told to be, to be uh, portraying, you know? Yeah. It just, it did. I just don't know. I mean, I barely know you. You're a madman in a box. (laughs) Let me jump into the time stream. Yeah. I, I don't know. That feels very, very weird. Let us know what you guys think. Again, now that you've heard all these spoilers, write us resources at serotalk.com. Leave us a line over at Twitter, twitter.com slash EOL show. Comment on the blog, EOLshow.com. Or you can leave us an eye report if you're listening to us on iBlink Radio, available on iOS and Android, right there at the top of the screen. We would love to hear what you have to say about Series 7B or some of our sidetracks or just in general what you thought or what your predictions are for the 50th anniversary airing in November. Byron, anything else you want to touch on here, man? I feel like you've said this before. Oh, wait, uh, that was when we uh, cut away for the spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) That was episode one. This has been a longer episode two. You weren't even sure that we were going to have enough for episode one and two. Surprise, surprise, surprise. surprise. Yes, you underestimate my power to BS people. Uh, No, um, (laughs) where can everybody find you, man? Everybody can find me on Twitter. My Twitter username is Byron27. And you can find my radio shows and some of the other things that I do at ByronLee.com. If you want to read more crazy sci-fi and tech news, I'm a high-traffic person on Twitter, but you're more than welcome to follow if you're interested. Twitter.com slash RangerStation, all one word. Byron, thanks for sitting in with me and talking who. It's something that uh, the rock star knows I can do ab nauseum uh, as she is found out in the office so <clears throat> surprise and uh, i do appreciate the opportunity for all of you to hear what we have to say about who as well thank you so much for listening goodbye 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 <laughs>